My name is Pastor Brandon Holbrook, as Norm said, and uh, I oversee um, life groups and, and equip classes, um, all of that. I have a fancy title, Pastor of Spiritual Development, um, but some people are like, what's that mean? So life groups and equip classes catch the vision. But it's always an honor to be up here and to share with you guys um, what God has put on my heart. And God's just been speaking to me and sharing some things with me, and I'm just going to share that with you guys. I think if it's something that God's wanting to do in me, um, there's a chance that maybe some of you God's wanting to share the same thing with, and so I'm going to share that with you. Um, We're going to be talking about faith, and faith is critical to who we are. We are called a people of faith, and if I ask you to define faith, uh, many of us would, would talk about things that we believe in. And sometimes we may think or we may say, or people in our culture may say they have faith, um, but in reality, I would say maybe they don't. And so I want to redefine faith a little bit and, and really give you this, what Scripture, when it speaks of a person of faith, what that is and what does that mean and what that looks like. Um, and I'm going to illustrate it by this story of a guy named Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was, uh, lived in the 1800s, and he came to America from France, and Charles was a famous tightrope walker, and he would uh, go to Niagara Falls, and he would string this rope from one side to the other of the falls. 1,300 feet would be his rope, and, and, or how long it was, and it was two inches wide, and Charles would go back and forth across this rope like it was nobody's business. It was unbelievable how easily he could walk across this rope 1,300 feet, two inches wide, knowing that if he slipped and fell, he would die. And here's what I find interesting in that day and age, that this was what families did for entertainment. It was thousands of people would be on one side, thousands of people would be on the other, and it's not just adults. I mean, you would have your little kids there, hey kids, we're going to go watch this guy walk across the tightrope, and we're going to just see if he falls today. So they would gather over there, and sure enough, he would walk across. And I mean, he could do this like you and I could just walk on the street. It was unreal the way he could balance himself. One day, he pulls out a wheelbarrow, and he decides that he is going to push a wheelbarrow across this rope, 1,300 feet, two inches wide, and he's going to push a wheelbarrow. So he's pushing this wheelbarrow, and I don't know if it's whether it's, he was actually a little bit wobbly, or he was just making it, but you know, he's making it look challenging. And the people on the other side are just cheering and cheering, and at times they're holding their breath. Is he going to fall? Is he going to make it? Is he going over the falls today? Is this the day we're going to see this guy plummet to his death? Sure enough, he keeps going and going, little by little, and he makes it to the other side. And he gets to the other side, and the crowd goes crazy. They're, they're ecstatic that he did it, and they're just cheering and, and hollering, and he goes, how many of you guys thought I could make it? And of course, they all say, yeah, we thought you could make it. And he goes, how many of you all think I can walk back and make it back across with the wheelbarrow? And everybody said, yeah, you can do that, Charles. You can make it back. And then he looked and he said, now get in the wheelbarrow. And it became silent, right? How many of those people had faith that Charles could make it back across? How many of those people really believed and really had faith that this guy could push them across? Not very many. Faith fuels action. 
Faith would say, I'm getting in the wheelbarrow. It doesn't make sense, but I'm getting in the wheelbarrow. That is faith. James talks about this in Scripture, and we're not going to go to James. You don't have to flip there yet. We're going to be in numbers today. But in James, he talks about people who say they have faith, but they don't have any works behind it. There's no fueling of action from their faith. And James says, I just want to show you my faith by showing you what I, it has fueled me and propelled me to do. Look at what I have done. I'm not doing it to try and earn anything. I'm doing it because my faith has propelled me. Because I believe God has called me to some things and I'm responding to him. So today I want us to talk about being a people of faith. A people who's willing to step out to whatever God asks. A people who's willing to say... I'm going to get in the wheelbarrow today. Wherever God's want me to go, whatever he's want me to do, I'm willing to get in the wheelbarrow. <clears throat> if you have time this week, um, there's a chapter in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, called the Hall of Faith. And we celebrate and we love sports in our culture. I like sports. And so we have Hall of Fames. You can go and you can see people who really excelled and did great things. And the Hall of Faith is that for the people of the faith. So Hebrews chapter 11, the author writes down all of these people in the Old Testament who put their faith in God, and it propelled them to action, and God did incredible things through those people. Incredible things. Scriptures is filled with stories of ordinary people, very ordinary, like you and I, who, who didn't always get things right, but they put their faith in a God who could do extraordinary things. They put their faith in a God who could do the miraculous, who could do the impossible with ordinary people like you and I. I hope today that you and I will, will tune in to what God is calling us to and be able to say, God, I, I know that maybe this is scary, maybe this doesn't make sense, but I'm trusting you. I'm putting my faith in you. I'm getting in that wheelbarrow, trusting you to get me across. So let's, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Numbers chapter 13. <clears throat> As you're turning there, let me just set this story up. This is a story uh, that I like to talk, if I gave it a title, it would be Giants, Grasshoppers, and Grapes. That's what we're talking about today, Giants, Grasshoppers, and Grapes. And, and it sounds kind of funny, but really, it's, it's the children of Israel, and God is ready to lead them into the promised land. Two years prior to the story of, that we're reading today, they were on the run, fleeing and escaping out of Egypt. They've been in Egypt for 400 years in bondage as slaves. And it was a tough, tough 400 years. And finally, God had delivered them. God had set them free. They had escaped. And in those days, the Egyptians were the most powerful civilization on earth. So you think about it. They had just this group of ragtag slaves that God said, I am going to deliver because they are my children and my people. And he delivers them from the most powerful civilization on earth in that day. And they, had, you know, they ran through the Red Sea. And as the Egyptians were chasing them, the water was up high, and it crashes down as the Egyptians are in the middle of the Red Sea trying to chase them on that dry ground. And it killed many of the Egyptian army. And so here they are two years later, and God is saying, I have promised way back when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of you guys, those that you'd say are your fathers, I've promised them a land for you, for you. 
I promised you this land, and now I'm ready to give it to you. Just as a dad had said, you know, one day I'm going to promise to give you this gift. God is looking at his children and said, I promised, and I'm going to come through, and I want to give that to you today. I want to give that to you now. Now is the time to take the promise that I've given, to take the land that I promised you. I want to give that to you today. So that's the setup of the story. And so Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they can spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. So there are 12 tribes that he's talking about, the 12 sons of Israel. And out of those 12, he wants a leader from every tribe to go. This is the land that they're to inherit. So they're, in a way, they're going to see different pieces of maybe this tribe's going to inherit this area. Another tribe's going to inherit another area. But God's saying, I want you to send one from each tribe, one from each family, a leader of each family into this land. We're going to skip down to verse 17. Same chapter, verse 17. When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, go up there into the Negev, then go into the hill country. See what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are, there are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So this is the people of Israel. They're in the desert. They've been following God. And he's bringing them to this point, And he's calling them to step out. To say, I'm calling you now to go forward into this land. I want you to prepare the way. Send some spies and get that ready. But I'm calling you to go to receive the promise that I have promised to you, to receive this land. And as I read that, it struck me, you know, that God in our lives has a call. That every single person in here has a call. God is calling you. He is calling you. And many of us don't believe that. We think that God only calls certain people in certain places in certain times. But I believe God is calling every single person in this room. No matter where you've been, and you can read the children of God, the children of Israel, he write, that they didn't always get it right, and we don't always get it right, but God still has a call for you. He's not giving up on you. And it may be that the very first call he has on your life is that you would, for the first time today, trust him completely. That for the first time, you would say, I am getting in the wheelbarrow today, God. I'm placing my faith in you. Maybe God's calling you to go into your work and, and God's saying, I want to take that territory, that, where you work, I want to go into that place and I'm calling you to take me into that place. You know that person at work that you feel like you, you, you know, to share what I've done in your life with? I want you to do that. I'm preparing the way, but I'm asking you to step out in faith and trust me. Have that conversation with them. Maybe God is saying, for the first time, I want you to open that area of your life that you've held me out of because I want to deliver that. 
that there's an area in your heart, a territory that you've said, God, I'm not letting you into that area. That's just a little too messed up. I wouldn't want you to see what's in that area of, of my life. You know, you wouldn't want to be a part of me then. And God's saying, no, today's the day. I want to go into that place and deliver it so that I can reign there. God has a call for you. He's calling you to something. He's calling you to faith in him. Will you trust him? Will you get in the wheelbarrow as he's calling you? Will you say, God, I'm, I'm just going to believe in you and trust you? Well, that's, the, that's where the children of Israel stand at this moment. They have a choice to make. The spies are, have went into the land, and they're getting ready to come back, and the children of Israel and the leaders of Israel are going to have a choice to make. Where do they put their faith? There's going to be some obstacles to their faith, and there are going to be some obstacles to our faith, and we're going to look at that. But we have to make a choice. Where are we putting our faith? Are we trusting in ourselves? Or are we trusting in God? So let's skip on down to verse 25. We're going to look at two obstacles of faith. Um, the, the, the children of Israel <clears throat> had spied out the land for 40 days. So Numbers chapter 13, verses 25 to 28. This, is, I believe, is the first obstacle we encounter. When they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they had proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them, and to all the congregation had showed them the fruit of the land. Remember, this was the land that God said would be flowing with milk and honey. This was going to be the best land. So they brought back some fruit of the land just as Moses had instructed. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. And they hold this up. And earlier, when it talks about them cutting the fruit and carrying it while they were in the promised land, it said it, they had two guys carried it between a pole. So I just picture this cluster of grapes. How big would it have had to have been that two guys had to carry it? Now you guys think, you're not getting it. Have you ever been in the grocery store and needed you and your spouse to lift up the thing of grapes from where they are in the refrigerated section into your cart? No. But this cluster of grapes in the promised land was beyond what they had ever seen. And they're holding it up saying, look at this fruit. You have never seen anything like this, guys. You've been living in Egypt and you've never seen fruit like this. This is something only God could provide. So they hold it up. Next, nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Let me put that in another, con let me say that another way. It doesn't matter how good the fruit is. We can't do it. There's not a battle plan, Moses. There's not a battle plan that we can draw up to defeat these people. We saw these people. They are far mightier than we are. You know, it was one thing for God to lead us out of Egypt because we were escaping from an army. It's another story to try and siege a fortified city. And we can't do it. That is just the facts. Now, I'm a facts person. And I have found 
that sometimes the facts get in the way of faith. Some of you are facts people, and and you're like me, and when I see a situation, I want to sit and I want to analyze it. I want to figure out, okay, what are the possible choices, what are the possible outcomes, and choose the best based on my own understanding, my own logic and reasoning. I want to be a facts person. And I'm telling you, the stories in this Bible and this story, it's not about being a facts person. It's about being a faith person. We can't figure everything out on our own. You know what I've come to realize? I'm not as smart as I thought I was. And maybe you've realized that about yourself too. That sometimes things happen, you're like, that didn't make sense. That did not make sense how that happened, but it did. You know, have you ever received a bad report of something? I think about this bad report that the children of Israel got. It told them that there was no way, there was no way they were going to overcome this city. That God had led them out of Egypt, and now they weren't going to be able to get into the promised land. That's what the facts said. That's what the report said. You know, I know some people, you've received a bad report, whether it's at work, whether it's at the hospital, whatever it is. Don't hold to just the facts. Choose faith over the facts. You know, our God is a God who doesn't deal with just the facts you and I see. He can do the impossible in situations. He's working in ways you can't see. He is far bigger than your own understanding. So why do we want to just hold on to our own limited sight of what we can see in our own understanding? It doesn't make sense because God is so much bigger than we are. We miss out on experiencing God's faithfulness when we just hold to the facts and make decisions based on that. Now, I'm not saying we should be irrational, but I'm saying sometimes faith will lead us to that. There are times when God is calling us when it doesn't make sense, but it's what God's calling us to. It didn't make sense for these group of wandering people who were not military. They were not trained. They didn't have weapons. It didn't make sense for them to try and go up and take the promised land against fortified cities with the descendants of Anak there. Those are giants. These people are huge. It didn't make sense. But sometimes God's, God calls us to things that doesn't make sense. And many of the stories in Scripture that are extraordinary, if you read it, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense for Noah to start building an ark. But he did. Think about all of the stories. It didn't make sense that this little shepherd boy would pick out five smooth stones and say, I'm going to go kill this giant that you guys are afraid of. Didn't make sense. But he had faith. He trusted God. God was calling him. So what's God calling you to? Where are the facts maybe getting in the way of your faith? If you flip over to Proverbs Chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And, this is the important part, I think. For me, it's important. This and part, this next, next piece of this verse. Do not lean on your own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding. How often do you... And do I lean on our own understanding? 
How often do we analyze that situation based on our own understanding and say, well, that's, that's just the way it is. Got a bad report. Just got to move on. And God is saying, no, 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 no. No, no. Did I call you there? Have I called that? Have I, is this something that I have promised? Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in me with all your heart. Despite the facts. Facts are just an obstacle to faith. Oftentimes a bad report, all that simply means is we can't do it on our own power, but God wants to do it in an extraordinary way so that he can get the glory. So that he can get the credit. He wanted to deliver the promised land to them, and it was going to be in such a way so that they couldn't take credit for defeating these people. Only God could get the glory. How often is that the case in our own lives? When God calls us to step out, It's so that he can get the glory at the end of the day because it doesn't make sense. It's impossible on our own. But he's going to make it happen. So that was the first obstacle that they had to overcome. They had to choose faith over the facts. So they get this bad report. And Caleb, one of the 12 spies, stands up and he begins to tell them, Hey guys, I think we can do it. I think we can do it. And the rest of the naysayers, so you had 12 spies, you had 10 naysayers, and you had two who believed God could do it. Caleb was trying to convince the people to go forth because God is faithful. But the 10 naysayers heard Caleb and they thought, Caleb is going to win some people over. They're going to actually try to do this and we're all going to be slaughtered. This isn't a good idea. So the naysayers, the 10 naysayers are going to get back up and now instead of just giving the bad report, just the facts, they're going to do something else with their speech and they're going to play on people's fears. Because if facts won't get in the way of your faith, your fear will. So if you would, read with me verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. Some of your translations will say giants. There also we saw the Nephilim. The sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Have you ever felt like a grasshopper trying to take on a giant? Have you ever felt like a grasshopper trying to take on a giant? In that moment of choosing, do I trust God or do I not? And you look at the situation and fear begins to creep in and to overtake you, almost like a giant blanket that swallows you up and it paralyzes you. Have you ever stood at the crossroads of when you're going to choose faith and you looked at the mountain that God has called you to take and you said, there's no way. There's no way that I can do that. And you fear That blanket just swallows you up and you step back afraid. Fear is an obstacle to faith. It is in direct opposition of faith. 
Fear is going to paralyze you and it holds you in place. But faith, remember, faith should fuel action as a way of trusting God. Have you ever had that moment where fear paralyzed you? You know, I'm going to share a story where fear paralyzed me and my faith. In college, I worked at a gas station, an old-fashioned old service station, and we detailed cars. And one of the guys that I worked with was named Steve. And Steve was uh, several years older than me, um, but we became friends as we worked together. And one day, uh, uh, Steve, who was not a believer, and no one in this place was but myself, Steve came to me, and he, he was pretty upset, and he told me that um, they'd done some tests on his wife, and they had found a growth. And he was frightened. They just had a newborn baby. And he knew what this would mean if it turned out that that would be cancerous. And it scared him. It rocked him. And he just shared that with me. And he's a, kind of a big, tough guy, but you know, tears just filled his eyes. And he asked me to pray for his wife. And so I told Steve, I said, I'm going to go and pray. When I get back, I'm going to spend tonight praying for her. So I went that night, and I was praying for Steve and his family and his wife and for a miraculous healing. And God told me that she was going to be healed. And I need to tell Steve that she's going to be healed, that it's going to be okay. And at first, you know, you're excited. You're like, man, thank you, God. But is that God's voice? What if she's not? I went to work the next day, and I was really fighting this fear of, what if I tell Steve and it doesn't happen? What if I tell Steve that the Lord told me that and it doesn't happen? I don't know. And I became fearful. I became fearful to step out in faith. I became afraid to get in the wheelbarrow and to trust God to get through this situation. And so that day, I didn't tell Steve that story. And I missed the opportunity to experience what God would do in that moment by sharing what he had told me because of fear. You know, thankfully, God's a God of second chances. And we've all had those moments where maybe fear has held us captive. We've not stepped out in faith. And God opens doors later again and again. And I got to share that later with Steve. God provided another opportunity. But man... Fear is just in direct opposition to faith and stepping out and trusting God. Guys, we have to choose faith over fear. Choose faith over fear. Even when you feel like you're a grasshopper going against a giant. Even when you see the road ahead and you want to shrivel and walk away and hide behind a rock. Choose faith over that fear. Choose faith over that fear. Isaiah 12.2 says this. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Man, can I just say something? If you are a person that fear tends to really grip, 
would you just take that passage and meditate on it when you go to bed at night and meditate it when you rise up in the morning, that God's word and his truth would sink into your heart, that in that moment when fear starts to come, you'd say, no, 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 I will not be afraid because God is with me. I will not be afraid because God is my strength and my song today. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I am not going to be afraid because God is on my side. He is my salvation and strength. Would you do that? Would you just let God's truth sink into your heart that it becomes part of who you are? So the fascinating part of this story is that people of Israel, they hear the fear and they believe it. And that moment they do not enter the promised land. They believe the fear over God's faith. But here's why I'm calling you and I, and you can read it through Scripture. Here's why we are called to be a people of faith, is because the third thing is our faith is in a faithful God. Right? Our faith is in a faithful God. Every time God promised something to the to someone in scripture, he was faithful to come through. And just because the people of Israel weren't faithful in that moment didn't mean God wasn't going to be faithful because we know 40 years later, they're going to go into the promised land and he's going to deliver it to them the way he wanted to 40 years prior. God is faithful. That's why we have faith. And that is where we place our faith. Not in ourselves, not in the facts not in our fears, but in God. God is faithful. In preparing this sermon, I just learned this as I was studying this passage and reading it, that that, that phrase that we read back in like verse, I don't know, 17 or 18 that said, and now was the time of the first ripe grapes. I thought that's an interesting statement to include there. Why did they include that timing? There was something about timing that was interesting and important there, that Moses would write that down that it was a time of the first ripe grapes. And I started thinking through, why is that? What's the big deal? And I thought, you know what? There's a feast that the people of Israel celebrate called the first fruits. The first ripe fruits. And you know what we call that feast? Pentecost. And I just found it interesting that 2,000 years later, Jesus is going to tell his people that he's going to deliver on the promise, and he's going to send the promise of the Holy Spirit, and that they need to go into Jerusalem, and they're going to wait in the upper room, and that the day God delivers on his promise is the day of Pentecost, the day of the first ripe fruits. Isn't that interesting how God works in the details? 2,000 years later, God's able to Continue to be faithful. And he's going to say, no, I'm just not going to deliver the Holy Spirit any day. I'm working this thing out so that on the day of the first ripe fruits, when my people were supposed to go into the promised land and receive that, my people are going to receive my spirit and receive that. Isn't that interesting how God works in the details? We can read later that we knew that we know that uh, the people who were in Canaan, the, the Anak, the son of, sons of Anak, they had heard stories about this group who had led, left Egypt because of the power of their God and that they were completely afraid of this people because of their God. But the children of Israel didn't know it when they went to spy out the land. They just believed the facts, what they could see, and they missed out on God's faithfulness. But our God is faithful. 
He is faithful. We can trust him in all situations. I want to close by telling you a story about a guy um, named Dr. Kim and how Dr. Kim has placed his faith in God. And he has experienced God's faithfulness and God has opened doors as he continues to respond to God's call. And all of those things, God opened incredible doors for Dr. Kim. Dr. Kim was in North Korea in 1998 and he was arrested he was with a group of people, and they were trying to do some humanitarian work and stuff like that. And out of his entire group, they all left, and they realized, wait, where's Dr. Kim at? And he wasn't with them. He didn't make it out of the country, and they arrested him. And in North Korea, one of the, probably the most closed uh, country in the world today, incredibly repressive. There's no human rights. The people are starving. Uh, Dr. Kim was went to trial, and when you go to trial in North Korea and your charge is espionage, it's not a trial. All you're going to do is to hear the, the fact that they're going to kill you, that you are given the death sentence, because there's not a fair trial in North Korea. And so Dr. Kim went and he received this death sentence, and he went back to his jail and he started writing some letters, and he wrote some to his family, and he, then he wrote some to a couple friends, and he wrote one to the leaders of North Korea. And he told the leaders of North Korea that when he died, he would like for his body and every organ in his body to help the children of North Korea because he loves them, because he cares for them. Now, he's being charged with espionage and working for the CIA, which isn't true. But he loves these people. He loved them. And that letter, when the leaders of North Korea of that little area read it, it didn't make sense to him. Why would an enemy of our country want to donate his body to help our people? Because that doesn't make sense. And it shook him up a little bit. And that letter continued to make its way up and it made it to the supreme leader, Kim Jong-il. Kim Jong-il read this letter and it shook him up. And he said, I want to see this man. And he calls for Dr. Kim to come visit. And I can't imagine that moment of you have the opportunity to go visit Kim Jong-il. Do you want to do that? Because Kim Jong-il is not known to be a sane person. He was an insane leader, dictator. And he thought, man, I might be dying by torture. I don't know. I'm kind of, you know, all, you could look at the facts, you could look at the fear. All of those things would say, don't go. But he went and he visited Kim Jong-il, and Kim Jong-il said, why are you doing this? This doesn't make sense. Why would you donate your body to the people of North Korea? Why would you say you love our people? And he said, it's because of the love of Jesus. It's the love of Jesus that's just pouring through me. Jesus loves this people, and I love this people. And Kim Jong-il became rattled inside. Because what many of us don't know was that his grandparents were devout Christians. They were elders of their church. And he heard this and he thought, I, I don't want to kill this guy. I, I, I just feel I cannot carry through with the death sentence. At that time, there had not been a single person ever released in North Korea who had been sentenced to death. And Kim Jong-il says, I'm going to send you out of here. I'm going to get you, put you on a plane and get you out of here. So he sends him out. 
And Dr. Kim goes and he's doing some work in, in China. <clears throat> and as he's continuing to do some work over there, Kim Jong-il becomes sick. And he sends word that he wants Dr. Kim to come visit him. He knows his days are limited, but there was something unique and different about this guy named Dr. Kim. And he wants him to come visit him. Now, can you imagine now, it's like you have been freed. You've, you've been let out of this country. Do you want to go back? Do you want to risk it? What if Kim Jong-il is, you know, thinking, maybe I should have just killed the guy. Who knows what he's thinking? Do you want to risk it? Will you get back on the plane? And so Dr. Kim, because of his love for this people and his love for Jesus and his faith in Jesus, says, okay, God's opening the door. God's calling me to these people. And he goes in and he visits with Kim Jong-il on his deathbed multiple times, his conversations with him. You'll never read about this because it's not able to be printed for the sake of Dr. Kim. He visits with him and finally Dr. Or Kim Jong-il looks at him and he says, whatever you want, I'll give you. Whatever you want, I will give you. And he says, I want to have a Christian university here. I want to start a Christian university in North Korea. And he says, okay. Now, can you believe that? The doors have opened and God continues to unfold. And in 2011, this university opened. It is a Christian university in the most repressive government in our world today. Recently, they've been teaming up with the C.S. Lewis Institute to train the students of North Korea to be relational evangelists. God calls us to faith. We see the facts. We feel that fear coming. But God's calling you to faith. Dr. Kim realized that, and that's why he stepped through and he said, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know, but I'm putting my faith in God's hands. I'm getting in the wheelbarrow and I'm going across because I trust the person who's pushing the wheelbarrow. It's not me. It's not my own ability. It is God and God alone. God is able to do the impossible. So my question for all of us, maybe it's God's question for me and for you, is will you get in the wheelbarrow today? Wherever God is calling you, will you step into the wheelbarrow today? Maybe for the first time. Maybe for something you have been feeling him call you to, but you haven't stepped out in faith yet. Will you respond today by getting in and saying, God, I'm ready. I'm putting my trust in you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you call us to faith. You call us to trust you. And God, I think about my own life and all the, the lives in this room and the different things you're calling us to, the different ways you're working. But right now, God, I just am thinking of people who maybe have never put their faith in you. Maybe they've been looking at the facts and they can't make sense of it. Maybe they're, they're afraid of what others will think. God, I pray you call them and that they respond to your call. That they get in the wheelbarrow. 
And I just want to ask if there's anyone here today that for the first time wants to put their trust in Jesus, would you just raise your hand that I might pray with you? That you see the facts and you see the fear, but today you're ready to just say, God, I am just going to trust you because you're a faithful God. God, I pray that as you call us to faith, we will, we will choose faith. We will not choose just to believe the facts we see. We will not choose to believe just the fear. But we will be a people of faith. Not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Through every moment of every day, God, we follow your leading wherever it takes us. Just as with Peter, God, you called, you know, he stepped on water because he had faith in you. God, we want to step out of the boat and then onto the water today. God, we want to get from just the side to getting in the wheelbarrow. We're tired of playing it safe. We're going to put our faith in you. Thank you, God, that you are faithful. Thank you, God, that we are in a relationship with you, that we can trust you. Thank you that you sent your son so that we could do this. We could come before you. We could lay our heart out. We could hear your voice. It is in your son's name that we pray. Amen. If you'd like to come and pray about anything at all in your life, or maybe somebody else, the altars are open. I invite you to come forward and pray. Maybe God is calling you to something and you're finally ready to respond come have someone pray with you there'll be people up here to pray with you at the altars